Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tuesday Night Jaw on the Distraction Pieces Network in my still echoey new kitchen. Um, my name is Jim, I'm the host of Tuesday Night Jaw. Um, I am delighted to do this podcast, I'm delighted that you guys choose to listen to it every week. Um, most of you seem to enjoy the Steve Carino episode last week and I'm super stoked that I'm part of the Distraction Pieces Network because it's an awesome thing. Doing this podcast is an awesome thing that makes me happen. More on that in just a second. Um, a few little plugs I need to get out of the way. Um, a couple involving me first. Um, I have some t-shirts, some Tuesday Night Jaw t-shirts that are pretty sweet uh, that are available for sale. If you go to jimsmallman.com slash tnj, you will uh, be able to see uh, the t-shirts. There's a link at the top of the page. You can click on that. Uh, go get the t-shirts from my web store. Um, uh, you'll get them in a couple of days. Uh, you'll be supporting this podcast. Uh, I feel a bit Alex Jonesy when I say that. Um, you'll be supporting the movement. You won't. You'll be just be supporting a man who puts a podcast together and sometimes needs petrol money to drive to interview people. That's basically what I'm doing with it. Um, so, yeah, jimsmore.com slash TNJ. That's also the place that you point everybody um, at the podcast. To There's a list of all the episodes that we put up there, various ways that you can uh, download it. Um, and if you are already listening to this podcast, then please subscribe to it. If you're already subscribing to it, please rate and review it. It all helps. Um, and it helps my ego as well, I'm not going to lie, it, when people say it's nice um, and a good podcast, that makes me genuinely chuffed, um, so that's very cool of you. Another little thing um, I'm doing, I feel like I'm, I'm on the hustle at the minute, but um, uh, if you've been following me on Twitter, at Jim Smallman, you'll, you'll be aware that um, comedy, the comedy industry has taken a weird turn this week in Jonglers, who I don't work for out of principle. Um, have gone bust, which means there's a lot more comedians looking for gigs, which means there's less gigs to go around. I'm quite lucky at the minute. I'm busy most of the time. I did like seven gigs in seven days last week. This week I'm a bit quieter. Um, It's fine. I can get on with stuff. I can see my family. Uh, You know, I I work enough. But um, uh, it it does sort of pull things into focus that's, you know, maybe my career in comedy isn't going to last forever. Um, And one thing I did last year is I filmed my solo show, My Girls, which is about my wife and my daughter. Um, it's the best show I've ever done out of my four Edinburgh shows. I'm super proud of it, but I want to keep it special. Loads of you have bought it already. It's $5. If you want to buy it, uh, go to jimsmorman.com slash mygirls, jimsmorman.com slash mygirls, um, and you can only buy it until the 1st of November. Then I'm going to 
really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pull it from sale. I'm not going to delete it. I'm going to keep it for my own posterity. But it's a special show to me, and I want to move on from it, do something else. But at the same time, I want to keep it special for the people who have chosen to see it and support me. So if you want it, now's the time to get it. jimsmorman.com slash mygirls. And I'll be honest, the money I make from it supports this podcast, really. So it's all, it's all good. Um, and I am super proud of that show. And I know a load of you have bought it this week, which is really nice of you. And you've sent me lovely messages of it as well, about it as well, which is super cool. So thanks. Um, also, Progress Wrestling. Um, I own that with my two mates. Uh, ProgressWrestling.com uh, is our website for merch and for tickets. We sell roughly 50% of our capacity of tickets and we put 50% of our capacity of tickets for our electric ballroom shows on sale as season tickets every year. Um, and we've got six left. Um, you'll still be able to buy tickets for if you only come, want to come to one, two, three, four shows a year. You'll still be able to buy tickets. But we've got six season tickets left. We've never sold them out before. Um, they're on sale until October the 31st. There's every chance we might sell out season tickets, which is really genuinely mind-blowing. So um, if you want a season ticket... Get on board with that. If you don't, I'm totally cool with that as well. You know, it's a big outlay and it's it's awesome that people want to pay for it. But if you just want to come to the odd show, support us that way, brilliant. If you just want to watch our shows online, demand-progress.com. It's a little bit more than a fiver to watch every show that we've ever done. Um, some of which I'll be mentioning in a minute. So, um, yeah, just, you know, if you want to support my little wrestling company, do. Even if you don't want to support my wrestling company in particular, this is something I've been talking about this week. We have a piracy guy who monitors anyone who puts up illegal feeds um, of our shows. Um, we also were fully aware that there's there's various apps and stuff on various uh, boxes that you can get to watch wrestling for free, and we're aware of that. And we're after all the people who are doing it, um, because it's our livelihood. It's people stealing from us. We don't make loads and loads of money. I'm not a millionaire. I've still got four jobs. I'm still fretting about only having one stand-up gig this week. So, you know, if you like something, support it, whether it's us or WWE, or ICW, or PWG, or, you know, PWG, you can't stream their stuff, but you can buy their DVDs, you know, uh, loads of companies in this country have got similar on-demand services to us, likewise loads of indies in America, you know, get New Japan World, you know, even if you only buy it for a month, think of a great month you'll have, you'll have a great month watching shows, so support wrestling by, you know, if you've got a few quid and you want to pay for it, and pay for it, don't steal it, that's, you know, it sucks, in the same way, don't steal music or films, you know, it's just don't do it. You know, people people work really hard to entertain you. So, you know, don't steal. There we go. <clears throat> Sermon over, guys. Now, what I wanted to do today, um, I had an interview lined up um, for today that's going to have to happen in a couple of weeks now. Um, I had a um, unexpected, the reason this show's a day late, I had an unexpected day with my daughter yesterday, which is really cool. And on the drive back last night, I was thinking about what I wanted to do today. And I'll explain. So my daughter is 14. Uh, I love my daughter very much. Um, she doesn't live with me. She's never lived with me. Um, and I miss her all the time. And yesterday I got the chance to have her for a day. She lives 120 miles away from me. I got up at 5am. I drove to the Midlands where my daughter lives. I arrived at about half past seven. I picked her up. We went and grabbed some breakfast. We drove back home. We got home to my new house at half past ten, which she's not seen my new house yet. So she wanted to see the new house and she wanted to see her little brother. So we got home at half past ten. Then um, uh, we hung out here all day. We uh, looked after her little brother while, uh, while my wife was out at work. Then <clears throat> we 
um, we went out to the park in the afternoon and we fed squirrels and we all ran around and everyone climbed trees and it was great. And then at five o'clock, I drove my daughter back home again. We arrived back at her house about eight o'clock because rush hour traffic took a little bit longer. Got back out at eight o'clock. I then drove back home again, stopped for something to eat. I got home at 11 o'clock at night. I'd driven 480-ish miles yesterday. I'd spent a long time in my car um, and it was worth it. It was worth it because I got to see my daughter and that made me happy. Now, I'm not always the happiest person in the world. Um, and more on that in a second. Now, I get both myself and through the Progress Twitter account, which I spend, I look after most of the time these days. I get emails and tweets and DMs and Facebook messages and stuff all the time from people who want to say thank you. And that's a really, that's a, a really humbling thing. The people want to thank me and John and Glenn for progress and people want to thank me for this podcast. And you know by now, if you've listened to Tuesday Night Jaw for a bit, you know I'm a positive dude. Um, I, I believe in being positive, not for any sort of spiritual reason or anything like that. I believe in being positive because I don't see the point in complaining about stuff. Wrestling in particular, I was an incredibly smarky fan until I became a promoter. And then I realised promoting's hard and wrestling's great. So why not celebrate stuff? That's why when I do this podcast, if we do a roundtable and we watch a pay-per-view, if there's something really bad happened on it, we might talk about it. But as a rule, we're not going to dwell on it. Because I want to talk about the stuff that's cool. That was the original idea for this podcast when Pip first asked me to do something for the Distraction Pieces Network a year and a half ago. And I'm never going to shy away from that. In the same way, I'm never going to shy away from if you come up to me at a progress show and want to talk to me for five minutes. Unless something's on fire, I'm going to spend my time talking to you. Because you've spent your money on my product. Therefore, I'm going to give you my time. Because why wouldn't I? As a rule, most people who come to progress shows are super, super positive people who just want to talk about positive stuff. And if people come with me with constructive criticism, I'll normally listen to them. If you're a dick, I won't listen to you. You've broken the rule. But that never happens. People come up to me and just say, I like that, I didn't like this so much, but this is why, and we'll have a chat about it. And people will listen to my viewpoint and I'll listen to their viewpoint. It's very positive. But I'll get these emails and, and tweets and stuff from people who just say, I've been having a bad time and watching progress or listening to Tuesday Night Draw and then going and watching the matches you recommended when you've done roundtables or whatever has just helped me through a bad period. And I'm not, I don't want to read people's individual tweets and stuff out, but I, occasionally I'll get them and I'll forward them on to, to John and Glenn. I know that when Jimmy Havoc was on the podcast, someone got in touch and messaged me and I made a point of screenshotting that tweet and sending it to Jimmy because... Like, it's something we talked about in the podcast was that, that both myself and Jimmy are not not the strongest people mentally all the time. And and I, I don't think... <clears throat> I think it's a rarity that people are strong mentally. What I think is amazing is that in 2017, more and more people are realising that wrestling can bring people together. Wrestling can make people happy. And that's what I wanted to do today, is I wanted to talk a little bit about mental health in general. Um, and some ideas that I have and, and if you're having a bad time at the minute then maybe listen to what I'm going to say and it might make a difference to you it might not but if it doesn't and you want to talk to me I'm easy to find I've said this to people who've had problems with drinking because I used to have a problem with, with drinking and drugs and stuff that if you want to talk to me 
at Jim Smallman on Twitter. If you don't want to talk publicly, DMs are open. They're open not because I'm a creepy dude. They're open because sometimes people just want to chat to me about stuff. It might take me a couple of days to get back to you because I'm often busy. But I'll always try and get back to you. You ask anyone who interacts with me on Twitter, I'll go out of my way to try and be nice to people. Same as I'll go out of my way to try and be nice to people in person. Because do you know what? For probably, I'm nearly 40, for probably 35 years of my life, I was a horrible human being. I try and be a nice guy now. Because there's a lot in the world to be happy about. And one of those things that's unifying us and the reason you're listening to this podcast is because we're wrestling fans. And the wrestling community is an awesome community. Whether you've never been to a progress show, whether you've been to every progress show, whether you love WWE, hate WWE, whether you love New Japan, whether you can't understand why I bang on about New Japan all the time. It's wrestling that unifies us. And if it can unify us in other things, like being positive about other aspects of our lives, then that's a super cool thing to do. Now, I thought about this on the way back last night because I'm honest, I don't see my daughter enough. And <clears throat> it's not, you know, it's, it's down to the fact she's a teenager, she's got a life, I live a long way away, I'm busy, she's busy, and it's difficult. And it's always been difficult, and I miss her every single day of my life. And whenever I have her, whether it's for a day or for a week, when I drop her off again, I'm always miserable. You, you, I, I cannot put into words how miserable I am whenever I drop her off. The first half an hour after dropping her back off and realising she's not hanging out with me anymore sucks. And I know I'm coming home to my wife, who's amazing. I'm coming home to my little boy, who's amazing. But I always miss my daughter. She's great. Um, and on the drive home last night, I was thinking, hmm, I'm quite fed up. And then, because I was feeling miserable, I thought, for the first time in ages, I thought, you know, I feel really miserable. But what's cool? What, what, can I, what will cheer me up? And I just started thinking about all the friends I've made through wrestling. Scroobius Pip is one of my heroes. Like, I've loved his music the last over a decade, right? Like, I love him to bits. He's my friend now because of professional wrestling. All the friends I've made in professional wrestling is, it's so cool. Like, whether they're wrestlers or people around the industry or just people who are just fans of wrestling, it's so cool. And I started thinking about that and thinking about the positivity and then thinking about the nice messages that people had sent me to say that progress had made a difference in their lives or choosing like Jorah made a difference in their lives. And I thought that was brilliant and it started cheering me up. And then I thought, what I want to do today it's put together a fun list. It's turned out to be two lists. Um, I've put together a fun list that we can all think about and all debate, but also something that gets us all thinking positive, right? Like the, the emails I get from people are people who've had problems with addiction. Whether it's people who just, I've had a few people say, I drink a bit too much. How do I stop drinking? And I've chatted to people about that. Or people saying, I know I've got a problem, but this. Um, so whether it's addiction or depression or loss, they're all things that I've experienced and all things that, Wrestling has helped me with my very. I have an addictive personality. My addiction now is putting wrestling shows together and doing podcasts rather than doing bad stuff. I know it sounds silly, but it really is. Like my fandom for wrestling demonstrates how addictive my personality is. I will sometimes just sit and just read Wikipedia pages for like four hours, or I'll read old episodes, old editions of Wrestling Observer for hour after hour after hour because I just want to learn more and I want to know everything. And that's a little addiction, but I'd rather have that as my addiction than what my addictions used to be. And depression, I, I massively suffer from depression. It's not a secret. I talk about it all the time. I, I can be properly up and down. Uh, you only have to look at how emo my Twitter feed can be sometimes. It, you know, stuff like that bothers me. If you're the one person at a comedy show or a wrestling show who isn't enjoying the show, you're the one person I'll notice, not the people who are. Because that's what my personality is. I'm a pessimist and I suffer from depression and I always will. It's not going to go away. But I've got ways of dealing with it now. And people have messaged me and saying, 
said, oh, I, 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 <clears throat> I just feel a bit lost about everything. And I go, okay, and I'll have a bit of a chat with them about it. I don't mind doing it. The other thing's loss. Um, uh, my, the biggest loss in my life um, is my mum dying. My mum died a few years ago. And a couple of weeks after my mum's death, I, I went and did a progress show. And everybody at that show came up to me and, and patted me on the back and said, I hope you're okay. And I was okay because I had something to look forward to. And that thing I look forward to is wrestling. And it might not be wrestling the thing that you look forward to or makes you feel better. But do you know what? It is for me. You know, it used to, when I was a kid, it used to be football as well. I used to go to football every weekend with my dad. I don't do that now because I live far away and I'm working on Saturdays and my dad's a bit older and we don't get a chance to do that. And I miss that. But that used to be a thing for me too. So whatever it is, there's always something positive you can look at. Um, wrestling definitely keeps me on the straight and narrow though because let's say all of a sudden I decided to drink again. Not only would my wife find out and murder me immediately, but if I was ever in a locker room and I did that, I can guarantee there'd be 20 wrestlers and my two business partners who would stop me straight away and have stern words with me. And it's great being around the wrestling community because everyone looks after each other. And it's genuinely the, the, the locker rooms that people expect them to be. Um, those things don't really exist. Not as far as I've seen. Everyone gets on and everyone's positive. And that's, again, a really, really awesome thing. When we started wrestling, I didn't know what a locker room was going to be like. Turns out they're quite nice. Certainly my experience in the UK. Something else I want to do with these lists we're going to give you as well is, is people who don't get wrestling, don't, if, if you were explaining to a work colleague or a family member about wrestling and you were trying to say to them, hey, look, I like wrestling. Um, what it is, it's, it's two men or two women or, or whatever um, just wrestling each other and then there's a predetermined outcome and someone wins and then the storylines and stuff. Most people don't get wrestling their initial reaction to it if you have showed them it they either think this is awesome it's probably 30% of people and then 70% of people go this is stupid and what they don't realise is the journey that wrestling can take you on and that's what I want to do with these lists I'm going to give you today I tried to come up with a list of the most uplifting moments in wrestling history things that I've seen and genuinely have, have made my heart beat faster and have put a smile to my face and made me feel amazing and made me feel alive it isn't just booing someone or cheering for someone sometimes wrestling transcends these feelings and makes you feel amazing and that's what I wanted to talk about um, I told myself initially what I wanted to do was come up with a list of these 10 things that you could show someone who doesn't even understand wrestling explain the backstory they get why you like it just for these huge cathartic moments that have happened in wrestling history so I've got a top 10 that don't involve progress but then after I'd written my top 10 that doesn't involve progress I wrote another 10 that do involve progress that I'll go through quicker and then I'll do the other ones uh, the progress ones if you want to see them demand-progress.com they're all on there um, they're all just really amazing moments where you know whether it was how much the crowd popped or how emotional everyone got about it just these moments that just just really remind me why I'm involved in wrestling. It's taking people on that journey. It's not just a fight for the sake of a fight. You've got to have a storyline. You've got to have a journey. And I think that's why progress has been successful for five and a bit years. Fingers crossed we remain successful for a bit longer. Because, you know, we've got a lot of shows in 2018. Um, so these are the progress top ten. So I think that the most, uh, most feel-good moments in progress history. Okay, And again, you're feeling a bit down. Watch these progress ones. Go on the WWE Network or go on the internet, go on high spots, whatever, when you hear what I'm going to recommend for the others. And just watch those. Like, it might not, it might not snap you out of any funk that you're in at the minute, but 
it might help. And if it helps, brilliant. If it doesn't help, then that's cool too. I'm just, I just want to give something, people something positive. Because, you know, you've been a bit low, sometimes you need something a bit positive. And it's nice to be positive, I think. So here's the progress ones. Progress, top 10. Here we go. Uh, number 10 um, is the return of the London riots. Now, obviously, we've had the other end of the spectrum. Uh, and it's the absolute opposite of uplifting when the London riots broke up recently. But when the London riots returned, they'd left progress after, um, uh, I think James Davis had taken a pin in a match uh, against, I've got to get this right, against FSU, Naam Dar and Will Ospreay. Uh, and they're on the regression side with Jimmy Havoc and Paul Robinson. Uh, one of the riots took the pinfall and then that meant they had to leave progress. And they left and they were gone for a few months and then they returned to take their vengeance out on Havoc and Robinson, which there's two reasons that I love this moment. First of all is, is the pop that they got was amazing for two lads from London who I think are super talented and they got a massive reaction and they were just two lads who, who pretty much started as a tag team wrestling for us on chapter two and had been around and been a big part of the company since we started. And the reaction they got was one of, oh, we're really pleased to see these guys again. And it was a louder reaction that you would have got if, you know, an absolutely out of, you know, out of left field import had turned up and was stood behind um, Havoc and Robinson. It was wonderful. From a personal point of view as well, I, I really, really wanted that bit of work because um, all three of us come up with all the ideas all the time. Um, but... Like I, that was one that I remember really pushing for and I was delighted that it worked out the way it did so just that huge reaction was so cool so cool for, for James Davis and so cool for Rob Lynch and people were delighted to see him back and that's what we thought you know people wanted to cheer for them just before they went and then they came back and people were delighted to see them that's wonderful number nine on the progress list uh, it's a big one it's when Will Ospreay won the progress title beating Jimmy Havoc um, uh, I counted the pinfall that's not why it's in the top 10 um, I think I've told this story before but when I counted the pinfall there was drawing pins in the ring I got one in my shin one in my kneecap one in the palm of my hand um, that sucked um, but it was a culmination of a big storyline people were delighted for Will um, I was delighted for Will um, but the emotion of, of people being so desperate for Jimmy to lose and so desperate for Will to win just made it the only thing that stops this being like so high up is that by the time that Jimmy was at that end of his title run, he was getting more popular anyway, and the fans kind some of the fans wanted to cheer him, uh, and and that makes a slightly more different dynamic to if it had happened maybe six months earlier. Um, but a culmination of one of our one of our best story arcs ever, um, and just the again the outpouring of emotion, people were crying when Will won the title, and that's what wrestling should be about. It should be about you crying because someone's won a title or you crying because someone's turned on someone. Like, it, it shouldn't just be yay boo. It should make you feel that much, I think. Number eight. Um, <clears throat> again, this one's kind of personal to me, but I think if you're a big fan of our company and you, you support the company like some of the ultras do, then this will mean a lot to you as well. But it's the beginning of the show in New York in August. Uh, I got in the ring... Um, so I'm, I'm shy, which people don't realise because you see me with a microphone and I'm talking now perfectly fine. But I am shy. I'm a genuinely shy person. But normally before shows, I walk around the ring and I fist bump people and I chat to them or whatever. In New York, I kept coming out of the dressing room. And if you've watched the New York show on Demand Progress, 
you'll see it looks a bit like MSG. It's nowhere near as big as MSG. But in the, the entranceway is immediately behind the ring where the hard camera is. So you can, you can see the entranceway. You can see me hanging out in the entranceway during the show because I don't know where to go. And I kept, so I was in the locker room and I kept coming out of the locker room just to see how things were going and realizing it was filling up pretty quick. And every time I came out of the locker room, people wanted to talk to me. And if in the ballroom or in the Ritz or in the, the academies, like I, I'm fine, I can talk to everybody. But there were so many people and it was so hot and I was already nervous because it's in a different country. And I, I wondered how people were going to take to us that I had to keep, I'd come out and I'd sort of, I'd take a few photos and I'd talk to three or four people and then I'd go back in for five minutes, have a breather, drink some water, come back out again and I could do it again for a bit. But it was, it was intimidating. And then when I got in the ring, I was like, I wonder, all the time I was thinking, I wonder what the reaction will be like because New York's an important city for wrestling. And I just hope that people like us. I hope people like us like they like us in the UK. And I got in the ring and the place went insane. And at the time, it felt like it felt like 30 seconds in the ring that people will let me talk. And then you watch it back and it's a long time. It's several minutes. Because people were happy to see us there. And I know there were some British people there. And that's awesome that they travelled all the way. There was one guy from Manchester who was on the same flight as me on the way out. That's cool. But it's really cool that American people took to us like that. And the same they did in Boston. Boston was just a smaller crowd. And they did in Orlando in March. But oh, this was something else. And I think if you followed us, our, our journey as a company, that is it's such an emotional moment. And it, it made me feel the same way that I used to feel when I watched ECW shows on video when I was a student. I'd go to HMV in Leicester and they'd bring out one new ECW video, VHS about probably probably once every two months and I'd go in every day in HMV and see if there was a new one and whenever there was a new one I'd go home and I'd watch it and at the start of every show people losing their minds I remember thinking oh that must be something to be part of what a feeling to be part of that and the closest I've ever got to it is being part of a football crowd and and I know we get that in this country now but we, we, we're used to it because it's happened at every show since we started but to get it you know several thousand miles away from home was amazing and I will always be grateful to New York for that it's just so cool number seven on my uh, most uplifting moments in progress history is uh, for this year and it's Travis Banks winning Super Strong Style 16 it kind of include Travis's title win in there as well but I think when we interviewed Travis for Tuesday Night Joy people realised that this is a guy He's not new to this. He's been around a long time and he's been on his journey and he's been working hard in Australia and then in Japan and in America and now here. And he has worked and worked and worked and worked and wants to be the best. And now he's getting the recognition. He's progress champion. He's been FIFA Pro champion. He's been in Bowler. He's been announced for 16 Carat this week. He's such a workhorse and such a nice guy. He deserves his success because he's worked so hard. Everyone who spends any time with him, there's two things that rub off on you from, from Travis. One, what a nice guy he is. And two, how intense he is. <clears throat> and the amazing thing for us, of course, is he was a heel for quite a long time. Then all of a sudden people just realised he was great at wrestling and started cheering him. Never had to turn him. Just people wanted to cheer for him. And that's why the reaction that he got for winning Super Strong Style was such a wonderful, organic moment. I think a lot of people predicted he, he may win it. Um, certainly a lot of pe people predicted he might have won the title at Alexandra Palace um, but 
that didn't take away from the fact that people were so happy for him in both instances. But I think the super strong style 16 reaction is, I love the, I love it when he won the title. Ali Palang, his parents got in the ring with him. It's really cool. But I kind of, you know, I knew his parents were getting in the ring with him and stuff. Whereas super strong style, just the, the, the streamers and him on his knees in the ring, just, just looking completely spent because he'd given his all for three days. I think is it's it, it. I felt it, and I think everybody there at the ballroom felt it. Um, I'm still super proud of Super Strong Style for this year. I think it's one of the best things we'll ever do. <clears throat> I'm very much looking forward to doing it at Alexandra Palace next year because now everybody can see it, which is cool. Number six is Paul Robinson's retirement. It's not that Paul Robinson retired, and again, Paul's not completely retired. Um, little little insight into our company. Paul now works for Progress as a a behind-the-scenes agent um, because we all love him. Um, uh, We love having him around. He's got a great mind for wrestling and also no one ever argues with him (laughs) because he's one of the scariest dudes in the world. But I love that he was a brilliant villain for so long. And then he had his final match um, against Jack Sexsmith um for us. And again he's still wrestling in some places but he wanted to he wanted to stop wrestling for us because he didn't feel because of illness he didn't feel he could live up to to his own high expectations. And then in losing the match, taking the microphone with fans that have booed him mercilessly for so long and then just say this is it, I'm done. But thank you. And everyone going from booing him to on their feet applauding him is wonderful a, a similar thing and again nothing to do with the retirement but was the reaction to Doug Williams when Doug Williams um, wrestled Timothy Thatcher at the ballroom uh, a month or so ago and people gave him a standing ovation it was a great match but people gave him a standing ovation because he's Doug Williams when I was getting into indie wrestling um, and getting DVDs Ring of Honor DVDs and stuff like that it was Doug Williams I was super excited to see people are still excited to see the chaos theory and that spontaneous standing ovation was amazing but the one for Paul Robinson was just it's just the coolest. And, and to see the fans go from... And this is one thing I love about Progress fans is they boo with their men to boo. And it was, it was boo, and he started talking, people shut up, and then it was stand innovation, big cheer. And, it, you know, I thought that was a wonderful way for Paul to end his career with us. And I thought it was amazing the level of respect he got from the fans. And he deserves it, because he's been a great servant to British wrestling and to Progress over the last few years. So... Um, yeah, wish Paul all the best, but you know we, we're keeping him around because we do like him. Um, number five, kind of related, is the the wonderful reaction to, to Jack Sexsmith starting to win matches. Obviously, Sexsmith's been a big part of progress for a while. He, um, he's the pansexual phenomenon. Everyone loves him, um, and he embodies the everyone's welcome part of our company. And you know we've known him since he was a trainee. And he's he's just. He's come on leaps and bounds and he's one of my favourite wrestlers to watch. One of my favourite matches of this year is Jack Sexsmith against Pete Dunne, which I just thought was wonderful. Um, and, you know, it was Pete Dunne at his, his best dickhead, uh, his dickhead best, and, and Jack Sexsmith as his underdog hero because that's what he is. He's a believable underdog and he's, he's you know, he's, he's, he's got the desire to win, but for a long time he couldn't win. Um, I mentioned he beat Paul Robinson, that got a huge reaction. But I think him beating Zach Gibson in the first round of Super Strong Style this year and then getting injured in the process, but then coming out and wrestling Zach Sabre Jr. while injured and the way that Zach treated him in that match, the way the fans reacted to it, everything, that whole package over those two days was 
just so cool. I know that he was part of the, the Wasteman Challenge and stuff and that was silliness, but it was just the it it's not just a gimmick. People people love him. And I'm proud to be part of the wrestling community that loves him. Because this is something that twenty years ago it, it it wouldn't have happened. He would have had a very different gimmick. And it makes me very proud that people react in the way they do. But just seeing that that raw emotion of him of him getting a win and people losing their minds was just, it was so cool. Number four, um, speaking of emotion, which is what this whole list is about, um, is uh, Natural Progression Series winner, Pastor William Eva, cashing in his title shot on Marty Skrill, beating Marty Skrill. With a, and, and this is the thing, this is the thing I love the most about this. is So everyone remembers Pastor winning the title um, I only held it for a, for a month or so, but he won the title, and then he's crowd surfing, and people like so happy to see him winning, so happy. Um, I think the last time crowd were, were that like shocked and happy was when Mark Andrews cashed in his, and won it. but then obviously that was tempered by Jimmy Havoc coming and winning the title straight away. So that sort of took you up and down. This was just this felt like sustained happiness for a month that people were so pleased about it. Now, and when we did this as a company, it was a, a big risk to do. Pasta's great but it was still relatively new and it was a big risk at the time now obviously if you listen to Pastor's story through this podcast now I knew about that and we mentioned this when, when Pastor chatted to me that we were going to do something with Pastor's past and the fact that he'd had a checkered history and he'd been in prison and stuff like that we, we wanted to do something with it and we wanted to do something positive with it because in the past if that was hanging over you you'd normally you'd be a heel and he was a baby face and we wanted to do something with it with that and then circumstances changed that a little bit so I knew what Pastor had been through to get even get to his first match with us so I knew what it meant to him winning the title he knew he wasn't going to hold it for long but I knew what it meant to him I also knew what it meant to the three of us putting the title on him because we wanted to reward him for how hard he'd worked and he's always worked super hard and and that was amazing. So that so when we, because now you know the backstory a little bit, it makes it even more emotional as a moment. With um, the, the crowd's reaction at the time was just amazing. The old pastors on fire thing, people losing their minds. That was awesome. But one of my favourite little parts of that that it's sometimes it's the little things in wrestling that just make you go, oh, that, isn't that cool? And it's the fact that this ha- this followed a Tommy End Marty Skrull match. Tommy and obviously had lost the match because Marty had cheated. Tommy took his frustrations out on, on Marty. And at the time, we knew that Tommy, the reason Tommy didn't win our title is we knew Tommy was going to WWE. So, um, <laughs> is Tommy walking back up onto the stage, Pastor's music hitting, and Pastor coming out. Pastor, if you're not familiar with Pastor William Eva, um, he, he's, he's got a, a sort of vicar gimmick, is the best way of putting it, because he looks like Jesus. And he stood on the stage with a Satanist who nods at him as if to go, go on, off you go. And he goes and wins the title. And that just, it still hairs on for the back of my neck now. It's just such a cool moment. Number three, my most emotional moments um, in, uh, uh, emotional's wrong because emotional can mean sad. I mean uplifting. So most uplifting moments is, um, is Jimmy Havoc's return. Um, Brixton Academy last September, um, Mike Skull's cheating, laying waste to everybody, laying waste to referees. He's got me cornered. And I hope you suffer. The now much-missed music of Jimmy Havoc hits. He comes out. There's a brilliant photo that I think James Musselwhite took 
apologies if I've got it wrong and it was Rob Brazier, but I think James Musselwhite took a picture of me turning around towards the entranceway, my mouth open in shock. <laughs> and it's just the back of Jimmy's head as he walks out and the fans are losing their minds around him. It, such a big pop and was great as well because we wanted people to cheer Jimmy. Jimmy had nearly been cheered just before he, he went on hiatus and then he wasn't meant to be away as long as he was, but then he did his knee in and I know it was really difficult for him and him coming out at that moment was both a reminder that he's a huge star and everyone, you know, I think everyone realises that now and he's, he gets plenty of bookings overseas and stuff, as he should. But it was brilliant to hear that reaction, um, partly because I'm a wrestling promoter and I wanted people to react in that way, but also because he's one of my best friends. So to, to hear that reaction, because he jokingly said, I think he was joking, he said to me backstage, he's like, what if no one cheers? I'm like, I think they'll cheer, mate. I think you're going to be all right. And then just seeing people lose their minds, because again, these are people who hated him for two years while he was champion. But the minute he came back out to right some wrongs, people lost their minds. And it's just that playing with good and evil and playing with people's emotions like that is what I love about wrestling. And I, I think it's such a cool moment. Um, number two is another return, um, which is the, the, the South Pacific uh, power couples return. Um, now, I knew that was happening, obviously, promoter. John and Glenn knew it was happening. Um, the, the people involved in the match knew it was happening. And um, obviously Dahlia and TK knew it was happening. Um, but we kept it like super secret. Like Jimmy had been at shows and people, Jimmy knew, people knew that Jimmy was at shows while he was at Injun and stuff and he worked backstage and, and things like that. So Jimmy hadn't disappeared. The Kiwis had disappeared because they had gone home. Their visas had run out. They'd gone home. While they were at home, we sorted out new visas for them. We brought them back again, but we kept it quiet. And it was, first of all, it was a big part of one overarching storyline, which was Travis Banks, Pete Dunne. But also, like, we'd, we'd not been long removed from the crowd crying their eyes out because they'd left. And to give people that, few months later that that pop of oh but they're back and their music hit in and everyone losing their minds and the reason this is higher than, than Jimmy's return is Jimmy pretty much from day one in progress has been a big star been a top tier star for us um, TK and Dahlia started out doing Endeavour shows and stuff like that and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and when they went they were stars but they weren't you know neither of them have been champions they weren't at the level that Jimmy was the reaction they got on their return shows you that they are superstars. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you've not held a title, it doesn't matter where you're on the card, they are superstars. Um, and they've got their whole careers ahead of them because they're only kids. So that reaction, because, because I think I expected it to be big, but I didn't necessarily expect it to be as big as that, is why I've placed it slightly higher. But it's so good. It's like choosing between your kids, choosing where you put these. Um, and number one, um, have you got to guess what number one is? My most uplifting moments in progress history? And this one's tinged with sadness, because he was my mate. Um, is Chris Travis's last match. Now, it's not because it was Chris Travis's last match that's uplifting. At the time, we didn't know it was going to be Chris's last match. Um, I think I've said this on the podcast before. Chris is my friend. I, I, I like to think... I, I know for the wrestlers who work for progress, I am one of their three bosses on a show day. And <clears throat> I'm not... I'm not going out of my way to be one of the boys. I, I, I like most of the wrestlers who work for us. I think I like all the wrestlers who work for us. I can say that. And, and some of them legitimately are my friends and I'll have a laugh with them and message them every now and again. But I, I, 
most of them are younger than me and I don't want to get in their way. <laughs> you know, uh, but, and I don't want to be annoying. But I, I like wrestling. I like wrestlers. And I'm happy to see them all doing well. When I went to Fight Club Pro the other week, me and Glenn went and it was great because I got to hang out with my friends and not have to worry about putting a show together. I got to watch other people put a very good show together. And I got to have a chat with them. I got to see people like Shane Strickland, who I don't get to see all the time. Just talk to him for ages. And I got to see Jack Sexsmith and I had a chat with him. I got to have a chat with Amari, who, who's someone I really like. And I, I, I just got to have fun. And I like wrestlers a lot. Chris Travis didn't wrestle tons for us. He, he wrestled some great tag team matches for us. Some, uh, some very good technical tag team matches and some really, really silly ones. Um, <clears throat> alongside Martin Kirby in Project Ego. And... I always hit it off with Trav. A lot of stuff in common. Both like, both like um, wrestling, obviously. Both like football. Um, and he was a good dude. And I... When he got cancer, I was gutted. Gutted for him. And that's when we became friends. We became friends because he couldn't wrestle. And he was at home a lot. And he was bored. So we went and watched Sheffield FC, the oldest football team in the world one time. And, and then I gig in Sheffield a lot. So I started saying, Hey, do you and your missus, do you want to come down and watch me do stand-up? So... He would, and he'd come and hang out at the city hall when I was whenever I was doing Last Laugh uh, comedy club there, and we'd hang out and we'd be friends, and, and we became friends that way, and it was, it was nice in the same way that, that Jimmy's my friend because we were friends outside of wrestling first, and um, you know various other people are my friends because we've got other stuff in common as well as wrestling, and that's really really cool. Um, but he was my mate, and then when we knew he could come back, that was. So cool. And then having him have his match with Marty. At the time, the reason it was so emotional is we thought we thought that was his comeback. And we had such big plans for him and then he got sick again. But at the time, him, you know, by his own admission, was a bit rusty in the ring. And, and him rolling up Marty and beating him and the reaction to it and people being so happy about it was... It was it was wonderful, and everything that went around that match that day, a lot of tears were shed before the match because he thought his life was over, and then his life gave him a second chance. And I know eventually cancer got him, but at that point it was nothing but positivity. And I think knowing that reaction now, knowing it was his last match, though it makes me sad that it was his last match, knowing that his last match, he won his last match, and it was in front of seven hundred people who absolutely loved him, means the world to me. So that's my most uplifting moment in progress history. Right. On to the top 10 of non-progress stuff. This will take slightly longer. Um, I, you know, I mean to bang on about progress for so long, but I know people would only ask me. So if you want to do your list, do one, combine everything. Every promotional, I don't care if there's no progress stuff in it. It's just, I, I can explain it from a promoter's point of view. But at Jim Smallman, Write it in notes on your phone, screenshot it, tweet it to me, at Jim Smallman, because I always like seeing that. I know you guys like putting a list together, okay? So, these are my top 10 most uplifting moments in wrestling, all right? Number 10's a weird one. I think number 10, you're going to be a bit like, why have you put that in there? Hmm. I must also stress, I came up with about 20 different ideas for this. <clears throat> and then I messaged four people to see if they had any input to see if I'd missed anything. Those four people were John Briley, Glenn Joseph, Chris Brooker, Matt Richards. Because I thought that. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. 
If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. They'll see things from a different perspective, so they may well point out something <clears throat> that I initially didn't have on my list. And that's where number 10 comes from, because I was sat next to John Briley when this happened. Um, and it's from WrestleMania this year, and it's the end of The Undertaker. Now, I don't mean the end of The Undertaker's uplifting, okay? Um, it's a big deal for a lot of people. A lot of people were sad about it. But I was in the terribly named Camping World Stadium in Orlando. Please call it the Citrus Bowl again. Um, and when we left, no one walked away miserable. People walked away in awe of the fact they'd been to WrestleMania, but also knowing that they'd seen something amazing, which is the end of a legend. And I think, like, much as I'd, I'd love to... I, I wanted to include Kenta Kabashi's retirement ceremony in this list, but... I feel bad doing it because at the time I wasn't watching loads of Noah, so I didn't really see, and I've seen it since, but it didn't have the response that it would have had because I already knew he retired. Um, and if you do get a chance to see that, by the way, do check it out. But there was something... So the match happened, and Undertaker being old school, obviously wanted to go out by losing because that's what you're meant to do in wrestling. Lost to Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns leaves. And it was... We were still in the stadium like half an hour after the match with the whole hat and everything just being left in the ring and him just lowering back into the ramp. There was something there was something bizarrely uplifting about knowing that you'd seen the end of a legend. But he'd not died of anything. He'd just... He'd gone out on top. Because even though he'd lost, he'd gone out in the main event of WrestleMania. And I think there's something... Even though we kind of expected it was going to happen, there's something amazing about how it was done. And knowing The Undertaker, how he respects kayfabe and stuff like that, he's probably never going to come back. It's very rare that when a wrestler retires, you normally go, I'll be back. I think in the case of The Undertaker, he won't. And I think that it's the way it was done and the way that everyone went out of there positive, everyone went out of that venue talking about their favourite Undertaker memory. You could hear it all around you. And... If you're going to have a legacy, 
and you're going to have an emotional uplifting response to that legacy I think that's what it needs to be it felt genuinely felt like a celebration and this is one of the ones that John pointed out to me and at first I was like what do you mean and then he, but he's right it is a wonderful moment and it is an uplifting moment because it's a celebration of someone's career because wrestling is different to any other career you work in a building society you don't when you're retiring you get a carriage clock and you go home on your last day at work you go home and you don't go back to work again you don't get beaten by the area manager and I just think it's it, 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 the, the celebration again we were at Raw the next night myself and John and the celebration at Raw the next night as well was just it, it, people just chanting thank you take it for 10 minutes they obviously turned their venom on Roman but he dealt with that very well and still my favourite start to Raw ever but it was it was so well done that's how every, every career should end with that level of magnitude and that level of emotional investment from an audience, I think. Okay, that's my number 10. A bizarre uplifting moment to start with, but stick with it. Number nine. This is something I've spoken about a lot on this podcast. So my favourite WWE match of all time is CM Punk against John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. But I think... In terms of an emotional uplifting response he got for me at the time, I, I've said this before, I watched that match not expecting CM Punk, who for a long time was my favourite wrestler, partly because I'm straight edge, partly because I'd followed his career from Ring of Honor, partly because I just really liked his in-ring style, always had, loved his promos, thought he was great. And Punk winning was just, I, I didn't expect it to happen. I, I genuinely didn't think he was going to win. So on, on one hand, you have uplifting response number one. I did Someone who I wanted to win... I didn't expect to win the one, so that's uplifting response number two. Uplifting response number 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 one, sorry. Uplifting response number two is him. You know the really famous shot. He sat on the guardrail. Vince comes towards him, blows him a kiss, and leaves. And again, that uplifting response of who here? And it, it was the whole of Steve Austin's career was built on this. Who hasn't just wanted to just sort of flip off their boss one day? Like and in wrestling storyline terms, we were seeing that, and it felt amazing. And also because we had the Alberto Del Rio stuff at the end, I genuinely thought I'd been taken up to only be taken down again. So Punk had won, and then then Punk was going to lose on the Money in the Bank cash in, and that was going to be that. And it didn't happen, and he won. And it, I know wrestling's not real, but it felt almost real to me because I was so, so inspired and so uplifted by that one result. And I know that, you know, traditionally we talk about money in the bank because because it makes Matt Richards cry. But I I just think it's brilliant. It's such a, a great result to a match. I read somewhere the other day, I was doing some research for something else, and I, I was reading about this match. Now, this match I love from what most of you have said to me when you gave me your top 10 matches. Nearly all of you seem to love this match. It seems to be, it's not a polarising match. People love it. It's not Marmite. Like, people love this match. And I was reading on a, a particularly sort of smarky, sort of clickbaity sort of website, someone saying, I mean, the match was okay. It was full of botches. And, like, I've watched this match dozens of times. I know there's the occasional move that doesn't perhaps go as it needed to. But who cares? Wrestling's not all about moves. It's brilliant if people can execute everything properly. But if you just watch a match where moves are executed like robots and there's no emotion or crowd investment behind it, then you're just watching gymnastics. This is... It's absolutely perfect. Um, I thought it was perfect. Dave Meltzer thought it was perfect. It's a perfect, perfect match. And the end of it is so uplifting. Unless you're a massive John Cena fan, at which point I apologise profusely. 
Mm. So my new favourite drink is Coke Zero Vanilla. Slightly addicted to that now. Shouldn't be drinking it this time of night. Number eight on my most uh, uplifting moments in wrestling history is the resurrection of Jake the Snake. Now, when I was a kid, Jake the Snake Roberts was one of my favourites. I think partly because I enjoyed how he did promos. And I'll let you into a little t- uh, tip that I give to um, uh, wrestlers if I go and do promo training in wrestling schools. And also something I do on stage if I'm controlling a rowdy crowd is I often go quieter. So you'll see comedians or heels in wrestling often, if a crowd's loud, they'll just try and shout over them and go louder. And that demonstrates losing control. And what I'll often do is go quieter and slower and more methodical in what I'm saying. So then people have to shut up and listen to you. And it nearly always works. I was taught this when I was learning stand-up by more senior stand-up comedians. But the way I applied it to my knowledge was thinking about Jake the Snake Roberts. Because I loved him when I was a kid. And I remember whenever he did a promo, I was had to lean closer to the television. Because he was quiet. <clears throat> I, I, love, I always used to use him on uh, WWF WrestleFest when I played it in Hinkley Leisure Centre. Um, and Because he had the DDT. Um, and I loved him. I thought he was brilliant. He had a brilliant moustache. He was great. Um, kind of sad I've never met him. I've met a lot of my heroes, but I've never met Jake Roberts. And then when I was at university, Beyond the Mat came out. And as a wrestling-obsessed chap, I went to watch Beyond the Mat and was shocked at what had happened to Jake the Snake Roberts. So many problems. Um, I've never... You know, I... Matthew from Botchamania is a friend of mine. I watch Botchamania and stuff all the time. But I know that when he was in that Legends of Wrestling show in Australia, I think it was in Australia, wasn't it? Might not have been in Australia. The one where he was really, he was really out of it. I can't bring myself to watch that because I know some people go, "Oh, it's funny." It's not funny. It's a man with a lot of problems, and I've had problems, and I feel for the guy. Um, but then he got DDP's help. Obviously, DDP has been a guest on Tuesday Night Joe. I've met DDP a few times. He's a nice guy, and obviously put the documentary together. But Jake seems to now have this commitment to being better. And if it was just a documentary and I just, I knew about it because I remember DDP telling me about it and talking to me about it and knowing I was a fan of Jake Roberts and telling me that he was doing well and telling me that Scott Hall was doing well at the same time. And, and that stuff meant a lot to me because DDP's a good dude. But then in 2014, when he was on the old school edition of Raw um, and came out, and I wanted to be in the Royal Rumble and couldn't be in the Royal Rumble, but he came out on Raw and the reaction to him coming out on Raw and seeing him healthy was amazing and just made you feel so cool. But the thing that really tips over the edge and puts it in this top 10 sort of uplifting moments is just seeing that, I think it was Dean Ambrose, just trying so hard not to smile and break character, realising that someone like Jay Roberts had been on a hell of a journey and had made that commitment to, to sorting his life out. And, you know, long may it continue, long may not relapse. So, um, try and get Jake Roberts on here one time, eh? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Jake Roberts on Tuesday night, Joel. Oh, love that. Number seven. This is kind of a... This is an overarching thing. And this was something that was put in my head by Chris Brooker when I, I sent the message out to my friends earlier on. And it's to do with... This, it's to do with how wrestling can touch people in in different ways it's not just watching it's not just watching stuff and for example the stuff that, that WWE do with with Connors Cure um, which I know touched a lot of people and if you watched the, the Hall of Fame where he was in, inducted to the Hall of Fame and you didn't you didn't 
cry, then there's something wrong with you. Um, it's not just because I'm a parent. It just it, it's it's genuinely touching and seeing wrestlers act the way they did with him and all the footage of it is really cool. And all the stuff that Make Wish do, and I know that most wrestling fans give John Cena grief a lot of the time for for reasons that I used to do, and then I realised that he's he's very very good at what he does, and he's in so many, he's in one of my favourite matches of all time. How can I not like John Cena? But then when you realise how many Make Wishes he's made, that's really really cool. Um, to let you into a, a bit of insight into into progress as a company, John's wife Helena, who if you come to a progress show, you'll buy merch from. A day job, she works for Great Ormond Street Hospital and, and often organises people coming in, celebrities coming in and stuff like that. So we see it from a different side. But then, I think, I think it, whenever, the reason this is in the top 10 is if ever you see anything in wrestling that makes you go, oh, isn't that lovely? Like, that, that's what this shit, this is, it's uplifting, right? So there's a very specific moment I'm putting in. So I could put, all of the Connors Kill stuff in, all the Make-A-Wish stuff in, but that's not a specific moment. The specific moment I'm going to put in was something where I was in the room for it. And that is after the, the terror attack in Manchester, um, <clears throat> I found out completely by accident that a progress fan called Adam was there um, with his other half and his daughter. And they'd been caught up in it and they'd all been severely injured. And I happened to... I got, I'd got chatting with them and just said, oh, Adam and Lauren, I got chatting with them and said, said everything okay? And they were messaging from the hospital and saying, oh, I got a bit of surgery, but we're all right. And, and, and I wanted to do something for them. So, you know, if you were the, the last progress show in Manchester, Adam was in the crowd and I made sure everyone gave him a wave and bought him drinks and stuff because he's a good dude. Um, and we got the, um, uh, well, I mentioned it, Super Strong Star, dedicated the show Super Strong Star to them this year. And then the awesome fans who put together the brackets up on the balcony, got everyone to sign it, wrestlers, fans and everything. And, and I got to give it to Adam. Uh, Lauren was still in the hospital at the time and their daughter, Lily. Then I found out that Lily's obviously too young to come to progress shows. So, um, and, and she was the one who was obviously on the hardest time. She's a little girl, right? So I messaged William Regal and said, um, can you maybe get me some stuff? Here's our favourite wrestlers. And like two days later, I got a package, DHL package to my house from WWE that had autographs and merchandise and stuff. And then WWE UK got in touch with me and said, um, we're here, you've got a friendship with these guys. Um, would it be cool if you went and visited them? And because I hear they're wrestling fans, we want to cheer them up. And it's, it's people are very, very quick to say, well, people are doing this for publicity. Um, WWE do a lot of stuff that's not for publicity and I think it's I'm a parent I had to walk out of the room so what happened is um, uh, Nikki Cross Mark Andrews and Bobby Roode all went around to visit her and they got Sasha Banks who's one of her favourite wrestlers on the phone when we got there they were watching Raw on TV and and Lee's a little girl and I'm a parent I've got two kids and I had to walk out of the room I couldn't tell you it, was, I, it got to me so much like it, it both made me sad because she'd been caught up in something horrible like a terror attack but it got me because she was so happy she wasn't expecting that to happen and her dad was so happy and those wrestlers sat there and chatted to her for like an hour no one told them to move on Bobby Roode at the time as a heel but just sat sat with Lily on his knee just chatting to her and I thought that was lovely and it it encapsulates what I think they probably do stuff like that every week but at the time it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to that family and I thought that was amazing and, and I think I wanted to include it under all the sort of charity stuff that not just WWE do, loads of smaller promotions do. Hey, there's progress. We do food banks and stuff like that. Everyone wants the world to be a better place. 
And I, I, I thought, I just thought that was, was really, really cool. So that's my number seven. Number six. Um, again, it's, it's something something quite emotional that comes out of sadness. So Owen Hart passed away, join over the edge, uh, 1999. I was watching it live. My parents were in America at the time. Um, my parents used to, when my mum was alive, um, my parents used to have uh, a house in Florida that they would visit all the time. My mum had multiple sclerosis for many years. And going to somewhere hot would um, cheer her up, take her stresses away, and she'd feel a little bit better. So my mum and dad would go to America probably once every couple of months for a couple of weeks. So they're out in America. I'm at home. I'm a university student. I'm 21 years old, I think. My last year of university. And uh, my sister was out staying at a friend's house. So I stayed up super late. I didn't have uni the next morning. So I stayed up super late to watch the pay-per-view live, which I didn't get to do very often. And obviously, Owen fell from the rafters. And it was horrible. And at the time, I didn't know what was real, what wasn't real. And it became very obvious it was real. When my dad rang me up and said, we're watching the news. Are you, are you watching the wrestling? Is he one of your favourite wrestlers? Are you okay? And Owen was someone I always liked. He wasn't, at the time, wasn't necessarily one of my favourite wrestlers. He's one of those wrestlers that in hindsight, I've gone back and appreciated how amazing he was. Especially if you try and find on YouTube some of his stuff he did. He was doing in Britain in the late 80s. Some of that stuff's mind-blowingly good. And his Japanese stuff too. But he was great. And then when you read about what sort of river he was and everything like that, he was a good dude. And that's obviously not the moment. The moment comes from Raw the next night, which was Rory's Owen, um, which I had on videotape for a long time. Um, and I'd watch it. It had good matches on it. It had people, you know, people being emotional about their friend. And I think it was the... My emotional response to that was, oh, these guys are friends. And something I now appreciate because I'm in locker rooms a lot. I do appreciate everyone's friends and everyone is trying to look after each other. But the most touching part of the show, you know, I remember Jeff Jarrett getting really upset. And it, it, in some places, it's a hard watch. But the most uplifting moment of the show for me involves Steve Austin. Now, Steve Austin and Owen Hart, in the, the last couple of years of Owen Hart's life, they weren't the best of friends. I don't think they hated each other, but they, Owen Hart broke Steve Austin's neck with that pile driver at SummerSlam 1997 and they weren't the best of friends they got on okay but um, Steve Austin biggest star in the company and the fact that he came out and raised a beer to him I remember at the time really got me and it, it, it was something that it was tinged with sadness but it made me happy that the biggest star in the company was recognising someone and it was everybody everybody recognised it everybody wanted to acknowledge him and everybody wanted to celebrate him again the fact that he died was horrible, but everyone wanted to acknowledge someone that they liked. And I think Steve Austin's acknowledgement of it put a, a line under their, their problems and stuff like that. And apparently when the cameras went off, Steve Austin really broke down and, and, and stuff. But knowing that, that he got a chance to do that must have meant a lot to Austin. And knowing that he did that as well would have meant a lot to the locker room and made everyone... It, it, it was a a perfect moment to end something that was celebrating someone's life rather than it being sad. I think that's, I think it, there was all the emotions in that show, but I thought that, that made me switch that tape off with a smile on my face, which if you think about it, how sad a situation it is for me to be able to stop watching that with a smile on my face, tells you how uplifting a moment that is. Just the smallest of things. Number five, this will be a lot of people's number ones, no doubt about it whatsoever. WrestleMania seven, Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, 
retirement rules match. Randy Savage loses. Sensational Sherry comes out. Uh, well, she's already out there. She's a manager. Turns on her at the end, starts beating him up. Miss Elizabeth climbs over the guardrail, gets in the ring and saves him. That in itself. At the time, I was on and watching that and I was aware of the history of Miss Elizabeth and that, but I was a kid. I wasn't as emotionally invested in, in, a, in a, a, a real-life couple as I am, as I will be now. And that was awesome. But that's not the, the one moment, the, the really amazingly uplifting moment in that. that and it, again, it's just a little detail that takes it from great to out of this world is when Randy Savage holds the ropes open for her because that's what she used to do for him. Oh, even as a kid, I knew that was awesome. What a moment. And I know this will be a lot of people's number ones because it's, it's so cool. It's so cool. Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's my one. Um, number four is something that I read about and it got me when I read about it and then I managed to watch it a couple of months later and still got me again. Um, and this is one of the, it's not obscure, but this is one of the ones that will require a little bit more digging if you perhaps only sort of maybe into your WWE, maybe a bit of New Japan. Um, and this is something from Shikara. Um, Eddie Kingston, who I'm a big fan of, um, I think he's a, a fantastically talented bloke and also has uh, the sort of accent that makes me both respect and be terrified of him. Um, and it's Eddie Kingston choosing to honour one of his friends. Um, some of you may remember um, Sweet and Sour Larry Sweeney. Um, and <clears throat> he took his own life in 2011. Now, speaking of someone who's suffered from depression all my life, someone who's suffered from suicidal thoughts all my life, um, I know what a big deal that is and the thing that always stops me is knowing how much it will affect my friends and family. And this did affect uh, a lot of Larry Sweeney's, uh, obviously affected his family, but affected a lot of his friends because he was a really popular, really charismatic guy. Go back and look. Trust me, he was great, right? Then we took his own life quite close to King of Trios in 2011. So King of Trios became dedicated to him. People were doing his moves and, and, and wearing his colours. And, and I, something about wrestling that I always think is... It's so cool when people choose to honour a fallen friend. Is is like just Owen Hart? We were just talking about. I think that's it's such a cool thing to do. So in 2012, they had Shikara uh, at a tournament um, to crown their first ever Shikara uh, Grand Champion, and it was called Twelve Large after one of Sweeney's catchphrases, which is really cool. So the Twelve Large Summit um, after one of his catchphrases. I, I, I think that's amazing. Now I, I watch King Trails every year. So um, the King of Trails thing I was aware of and then I, I managed to, to watch the, the, the 12 Large Summit. I had to wait for ages for it as well. Um, so Eddie Kingston goes into the tournament, um, wins the tournament against Shikara owner slash head trainer Mike Quackenbush, which is, it feels like the most iconic person to beat, becomes the first Shikara Grand Champion um, and gets, then gets presented the Grand Championship by Larry Sweeney's brother. And it just, it, it's an amazingly emotional moment. It's honouring a fallen comrade. It's, it's giving a fighter reason to fight, which it makes it uplifting and amazing. But also, I think this moment, one of the reasons it's so high on my list, it, it makes it even more impressive because if you know Eddie Kingston, you've ever watched him, he's a tough dude. So for him to be that emotional and, uh, and that in, in the best possible way sentimental about something is... I think it makes it stand out and makes it mean even more. 
and honestly, go and, go and watch it. I think Shikara now have a, an on-demand service that you can go and watch all this stuff. So, and go and watch loads of Shikara. It's great. It's a great promotion. But I think that's, I think that's just really sweet. I think it's it's such a cool, such a cool thing. Really, really amazing. Number three. Um, number three is a title win. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you what a title win it is by giving you a bit of commentary that was not on the title win, but it was on a different channel. That'll put asses on seats. Whoops. Um, it's Mick Foley winning the WWE title um, in early 1999. Um, now, I lost my mind when this happened. It's weirder now because I have Mick tattooed on me and Mick is my friend. He's a genuine, real-life, actual friend. So that makes it a bit bizarre. Um, but it felt at the time, one of the reasons that I popped so much for it was one of my favourite wrestlers won the title. Brilliant. That it, instantly, that's an amazing emotional uplifting response. But it also it got me more because it felt like a lifetime achievement award for someone who'd been working his backside off for years and years and years. And his main job had always been making other people look good. So I think that that made it stand out and made it even more amazing. The reaction of the crowd, nuts. But then it was his reaction at ringside and how happy he looked. And, and when you read his book, knowing how much it meant to him. But also the wrestlers at ringside they acted like it was a lifetime achievement award as well because he was a popular guy. And I think you'll go a long way to find a title change that, that gets a similar reaction to that. I just think it's, it's so amazing. And it's just a big smile on my face just even thinking about it now. I might go and watch it on the network in a bit. I like it that much. Um, it's not the only title change in this list though. Because number two is a title change. And it's from WrestleMania 30. And it's when Daniel Bryan won the WrestleMania title. Daniel Bryan, another one of my favourite wrestlers of all time. Maze, just as a little tip, if you do tweet me about wrestling, don't keep tweeting me asking if I'm going to book Daniel Bryan. <laughs> okay? I don't know what Daniel Bryan's future holds for him. Um, it, it wouldn't it be amazing, but I don't think we A, have the money, or B, he wants to wrestle for us, and C, he's not necessarily ever wrestling again. So, you know... But yeah, Daniel Bryan winning the title at WrestleMania 30. And the reason it's slightly higher than McFoley is just, again, there was so much stuff to get you emotionally invested in this. And I also think, like, when McFoley won the title, he was a big star, and he'd been involved in... He'd been at the top of the card in WWE since his debut, pretty much, in 1996, I think, honestly. So, first of all, you had the Royal Rumble that year, and you had everyone expecting Daniel Bryan to be in the Rumble, then he wasn't. Poor Rey Mysterio getting booed at number 30. And, and this almost grassroots groundswell of fan support for someone who they just went, no, we like him. Give him stuff, we like him. And obviously, he won the title. WWE did listen, but for a long time it felt, is it going to happen? Is this going to happen? Are we, are we going to be happy about him winning the title? Or are we going to have to be sad because he doesn't? So he beats Triple H in the opening match of WrestleMania 30. I think it was the opening match. Then... Gets beaten down by Triple H, carrying an injury going into the main event, with which is him versus Batista and Randy Orton. And just the response, just him holding the titles aloft and the confetti everywhere. Like, not a dry out in the house, there can't have been. And I think the thing that's amazing with him is the love for him. Because he did a speech on Raw the next night where he said, I'm nothing special, I'm not like a superstar or anything. And I think that's precisely what makes Daniel Bryan special. The reason I liked him in Ring of Honor when he was Brian Danielson, the American Dragon Brian Danielson, was I looked at him and went, I like him. 
he's normal. He's not a big dude. Um, I had the pleasure of speaking to him once. I was watching William Regal in Manchester. And he came in with his wife. who was his fiance at the time, I think. And he sat near me and my wife. And I briefly exchanged words with him. And, and got to tell him I was a big fan. And he was a nice guy. And he knew he knew progress well. Which was, was really, genuinely amazing. And that was a really good liar. And... And I just thought, he's just a normal guy. He's, and I think that's the, the swell of support for him. It felt like the most natural and unforced push a wrestler's ever got. I think Steve Austin's push was, was very similar in that, in that people didn't expect him to be as popular as he got, but there were still storylines written to make him more and more popular. Whereas with, with Daniel Bryan, it felt that it just people just looked at him and went, him, I want him. I don't know why, but I want him. And then when you win the title, huge outpouring of emotion. The Raw the next night, massive outpouring of emotion. And it just, if anything, it, it makes it even more uplifting now knowing you know, all the injuries he's been carrying and the, and the fact that he had to pack it in not too long after that makes it even more amazing. But I couldn't have done this list without going on. Cause, and I think if you were putting a top 10 list together, I'd be surprised if either of those two title changes aren't in the list. Fair play if you can put it together. Don't feel you have to now just to prove me wrong. Though. Um, so what's my number one? I don't think you'll guess this one. Um, and again, this isn't something that I saw at the time. This is something that I watched for the first time during my tape trading days in the sort of late 90s. And I remember it just thinking, oh, oh, that is, oh, that's, that's a different, it's not a wrestling storyline. This is, this is something that is, is a big deal and and at the time a massive deal and the way it was put together and the way it was done and, and the, just the crowd reaction to it I think is the, the one of the most uplifting moments in wrestling history it's my number one on my list and that is in 1987 the Crockett Cup in 1987 which is a tag team tournament um, Magnum TA had been in a car accident in 1986 um, He'd wrapped his Porsche around a lamppost, I believe. And we spoke about Magnum TA, myself and Matt Richards in particular, um, uh, when we did the, the list, our, our supercard list the other week. And I picked Magnum TA against Tully Blanchard on mine because I think it's the best cage match in the history of cage matches. You can't count Hell in a Cell 98 as the best cage match because it's, it's either a brilliant match or a terrible match, depending on your viewpoint. I think with this, it's just... That cage match is amazing. Magnum TA would have been the biggest star in wrestling, certainly in in the NWA WCW side of wrestling. He would have ended up in WWE at some point, I'm sure. Would have been massive, absolutely huge. No, he was already huge when he had his accident, and he never wrestled again. He was lucky to be alive. Okay, so would have been a mega star. Because of the injury, it forced Dusty Rhodes to turn Nikita Koloff face to fill the vacuum that was left by Magnum TA um, not being able to wrestle anymore so the Crockett Cup Rhodes and Koloff teamed and won the tournaments and Magnum TA came out during the Crockett Cup in 1987 supported by Kane's referees helping him out um, to embrace his friends and the best bit about this is this was, wasn't like no one had been giving him up this was his first public appearance and the crowd went insane for him. And people it, rightly in tears because people thought he was going to die. And it's one thing getting injured and coming back. 
he was never going to be able to wrestle again. But still, this was it was everything. It was a goodbye. It was an endorsement of Koloff. It was a cementing of friendships. And it was an outpouring of emotion because people were pleased to see that, you know, he might not be able to wrestle again, but he might be able to walk. And he was able to walk. So I think that's it. I, don't, I think you would struggle to find anything that's more uplifting and emotional than that. But there's bound to be things, and this is the best thing about wrestling. You guys will go away, write a list, screenshot it, tweet it to at Jim Smallman, use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw, and, and you'll come up with stuff, and I'll look at your list and go, oh, why don't I think of that? I know I'll do that, because that's the joy of wrestling. No matter how glum the rest of our lives can be, wrestling's still something you can throw yourself into, and still something you can use to cheer yourself up. So I hope these couple of lists, my little progress one and the big um, other wrestling one, it gives you something. And again, that offer's there. I'm, I'm a busy guy, but if you if you want to say thanks, that's cool. You know, you can DM me on Twitter and say thanks. If you just want a bit of advice on, you know, maybe not drinking so much and stuff like that, or you're a bit fed up and you don't know what to do, then drop me a line. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I, we're all friends, right? I run a wrestling company and I do stand up, but progress wouldn't be popular if I couldn't. The, the whole thing when I call... The audience, my friends, it's it's partly because I, t- I feel too young to say ladies and gentlemen, even though I'm getting old, but it's mainly because that's the truth. You know, if you've bought a wrestling ticket and you come to our show, you're my friend. If you hate every minute of it, you're still my friend. So that's how I look at it. So let's all be friends. Let's use wrestling to make a better place, eh? Seems like a right idea to me. So, a few little plugs before we go. At Jim Smallman on Twitter, that's easy. I've got stuff for sale. T-shirts, jimsmallman.com slash TNJ. They're nice t-shirts. Not loads of them left. Please buy the ones I've got left. jimsmallman.com slash TNJ. We stand up show, $5. You can donate more if you want. I'm not asking for that. $5. You've only got till November the 1st, then I'm taking it down. jimsmallman.com slash mygirls. It's been award nominated. It's the best show I've ever done. If you've no concept of seeing me do stand up, because a lot of people only know me through wrestling now, I've been doing stand up for 12 years. I'm not awful at it. And this is the best thing I've ever done. And I've been doing it for a long time. So jimsmallman.com slash mygirls. For that, check out everything on the Distraction Pieces Network because it's all great. I massively endorse all of it because I'm really happy to be on the Distraction Pieces Network. So support all that. And progresswrestling.com, demand-progress.com for your progress-related stuff. We're doing Wembley, September the 30th, 2018. If you've already got a ticket, brilliant. But tell people because wouldn't it be amazing if we could, you know... I don't think we'll sell it out, but wouldn't it be amazing if we could get five, six, seven thousand people in there? That'd be the coolest thing in the world. British independent wrestling selling a venue that big. Be brilliant. We've already sold a load of tickets, but it'd be so cool if we could do more. So tell everyone you know about it. Progresswrestling.com. You can see the tickets and stuff are available on there. Come to Wembley. Tickets are 35 quid. What's the last thing you went to at Wembley Arena that only cost 35 quid? Nothing, that's what. So you can come to that, brilliant. And I'll make a load more friends and I'll have to high-five all of you and that's fine. Don't forget, if you do see me in public, whether it be at a gig, wrestling show, doing me shopping, wherever, um, just walk up and high-five me. You don't need to explain it. I'll know what you're on about. And that makes my day whenever anyone does that. The, the weirdest places so far are in a supermarket, um, on a tube train. Um, and, oh, there was one really cool one. There was one, I was in, I think I was in Brighton and I was ordering like a vegetarian lunch and the guy behind the counter did it so that made me happy so you know get involved however you choose to get involved and send me your lists because I want to know what uplifting moments you've enjoyed in wrestling as well right 
have a good week guys stay positive you're feeling good stay positive i know you can't be positive all the time but trust me you know life has a cool way of turning around and getting better I, i'm testament to this when i was 34 didn't think life was going to get much better i always thought i was going to be a bit miserable and then wrestling and my wife and everything came into my life so it can happen so you know stay positive guys and i will speak to you next week have a good week everybody we'll see you next week